Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Tony, how are you, brother? Good. Nice to meet you, Chris. Yes, it is. Well, it's it's the joys of podcasting, mate, as I, I get to meet some amazing people, um, all of whom have been just wonderful individuals. And, um, mate, it's not bad getting paid to chat, is it? I can think of worse things. We, we've been in worse situations, haven't we? Yeah, it's like, uh, imagine if they had podcasting back when we asked, had to do guard duty. <laughs> we, we could have knocked out loads. <laughs> So, um, yeah, as I, I was yeah. saying to you before, mate, I, I, um, all, a lot of our audience love all things military. There's, there's, um, God, we could, there's loads there we could chat, chat about alone. But I think you and I both, in fact, as I'm rapidly learning, I, I almost think everyone in society suffers from some form of trauma. I think it's the nature of the society we're in that seeks to frighten us all the time, that seeks to um just instill fear through the media we've got this culture of you know making people feel bad about themselves through the beauty and the health magazines and the plastic surgery and the um and 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 this kind of thing so i I, i'm sort of getting my head around i think all of us everyone has some sort of trauma right but i know that you in particular you went through quite a serious incident i know because i was just listening to a bit of it you all right to talk about that Absolutely, yeah. It's um, it's a funny one because I've I say I've spoke about it quite a bit in the past, but only you know after a couple of beers and if anyone's asked about it. But it was never really addressed at the time, um, and I never sort of spoke to anyone or had any help with it afterwards. And it's only in in recent times where I'm starting to feel the effects, and there, there's no. There's no timings for these things, you know. There's no say on if it's going to happen when it's. Um, and yeah, it's only in recent years it kind of started to catch up with me. And it was only a few months back where um, I was, you know, talking to the wife about it because I was preparing actually for that show with um, with Jamie on the No Excuse Excuses podcast. I was just talking through things and making sure that it's clear in my head, um, and just broke down. It was at the point where I was talking about when I was getting taken to hospital after the stabbing and my mum was on duty as a casualty nurse in Lewisham Hospital and she had to get taken to the side and told, look, your son's, you're going to have to come off duty because your son's coming in. He's coming in as a DOA, dead on arrival. Um, and you're going to have to come off duty for obvious reasons. Talking about the stabbing, the knife entering, the fight, this, that and the other, I'm fairly okay with. But once I got to that bit and you start thinking about other people's emotions and how horrendous it must have been for them um I, I just broke down and it just came from nowhere after what you know 20 plus years um but yeah sorry to, to, I, I'm okay talking about it, it, it it's just that's a, a, a particular point that, that now kind of sticks in my head that it's quite funny that I've been okay talking about it then there was that one incident where it was like ah okay maybe maybe there is something that needs to be addressed here the reason i mention it mate is it's like this right everyone says to me i i wrote a book called eating smoke it was my first memoir right it pretty much covers how after the marines 
I completely lost my mental health in Hong Kong, right? Chronically addicted to crystal methamphetamine um, without, you know, kicking the ass out of it. It, it, it. it was all the ramifications of an upset childhood were coming back and I, and I was having to deal with them for the first time in my life. Coming out the secure environment, environment of the military where everything's looked after for you. I'm there, I'm alone in Hong Kong. Things are starting to go wrong. I'm relying on this drug more and more to... You know, I'm thinking it's great and it's making me happy, blah, blah, blah. It, 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 it's the same the same story of addiction we, we've all heard many, many times, especially with veterans. Um, and ended up with my parents back in the UK being told, right, he needs to go. In fact, before that, mate, going back to the, the crying incident, in, in my head, I was so mentally unwell. I thought the commando crawl that we were taught to get across the, the rope, across the canyon, I... I got it into my head that I had to crawl from my tenement building across a wire that went to the building on the opposite side of the Jaffe Road in Hong Kong, right? So I'm 70 metres above ground doing the old commando thing, right? And I stopped and I suddenly thought of my brother and I suddenly thought of like how much we loved each other, you know? He's my, my best mate. We went through all this shit as kids together, you know? We went to one primary school where they had a rule that the big kids had to be in a big kids playground and the little kids were in the little and you weren't allowed to like interact. Well, we're going for a massive divorce. It's like my parents have been separated about three times already. We're at a school at the other end of the country, 300 miles away from our home. All the, all the usual shit, new school. When I went to, I think six schools, new school, new set of bullies, you got to fight, you know, all, all this stuff. And it was like, no fuck is going to stop me seeing my kid brother, you know? No one. So there were steps in between the play. God, I'm getting emotional now. There were steps in between the playground. My brother used to sit on one and I'd sit on the next one. And it, it just felt, it, it felt better, you know? Just it, everything just felt better with him there, right? So when I'm crawling across this cable, the thing that made me come to my senses, even though I was in, in deep in clinical psychosis, was, hang on a sec, what, why am I doing this? I don't have to prove fuck all to anyone. Only my, my kid brother, who I love more than anything else in the world, you know? Um, and it still brings me to tears, mate, now. You know, this is 20 years ago. That that, that powerful connection with someone, that love um, that you, you there's, words can't, just you can't put into words, can you, you know? And just to just to finish the point, Tony. Sorry. I, 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 yeah. No. 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 It, it's just that people ask me now. Oh, Chris was writing, eating, smoke therapeutic. I'm like, what? Regurgitating something that happened 20 years ago that my mind should probably have long since forgot or compartmentalized or stowed away, you know, in some memory compartment. And then I wrote about it. And now I have to talk about it basically every single day. Um, that's why I ask you if you're okay talking about it because I'm constantly regurgitating that trauma right and I, I don't mind but I do wonder if like my life should have moved on mate you know whether I'm maybe not doing myself any favors um just to sell a few books and you know have an interesting podcast um yeah o o over to you mate any do you got any thoughts on that yeah I well we're still I'm still working it out as as you are um and, and I think you know most people are I think everyone is really on on that type of subject. Um, I don't think anyone's got it fully figured out. Um, I don't. I don't think it's a waste of time. Uh, there, there is something to be said with not living in the past and moving forward. But 
the sense that I get with what you've just said there is you're not living in the past. You're not not moving forward. You're using it to move, which is great because a lot of the time, the best leverage we've got to be able to get ourselves to do something or to better ourselves or to change, to affect change, the best leverage we have usually is something external from ourselves. A lot of people, when they struggle to to change and and they think to themselves, I I, want to change because, you know, I I need to, I, I feel I must. And they struggle with it because they're telling themselves that that's the right thing to do. They'll be a better person. But as soon as they start thinking about someone else. So if, for example, the reason they need to change is because they're acting in a particular way that's affecting their family. Um, and it's not a nice home environment through the way that they're dealing with things for their, you know, their, their wife, their husband, their, their children. As soon as they start thinking about other people, then that creates a bit more leverage for them to be able to move forward and say, OK, right, enough's enough. Um, it's just strange, isn't it, how human beings work? We, we, we've got more chance of changing the way we are if we think about how it's affecting someone else than it does ourselves, you know? So yeah, to, to answer your question, I, 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 I don't, I haven't got it figured out. I don't think anyone really has, but um, yeah, as, as long as it's being used as leverage for something good and for you to be moving forward and it's something that, that you ultimately can go to bed at night and, you know, uh, and be happy with, then it's all good in my eyes. Yeah. If that makes sense. I haven't gone off on a tangent too much, have I? Mate, you're brilliant. This is all stuff. Let's be honest. I say this quite a lot. Like my parents' generation would never be having this conversation. Oh, no way. This would yeah. be lift up the carpet, sweep it all under, pretend yeah. it doesn't happen, go and try and be middle class. Then you'll be good. <laughs> you know, that short synopsis there. But, you know, all that was good for them didn't really help the offspring to make sense of this very complex world, which shouldn't be as complex as it is, because the rules, I know you you found the, the simple rules to life. They're actually really bloody simple. Smile, do a bit of moderate exercise, eat well, be nice to people. Oh, and be grateful that we've got this beautiful chance in this amazing experiment, because it's incredible. Um, and turn off mainstream media, folks, but that, let's, let's not go there. <laughs> too much it's too much isn't it you know and i think it's quite funny i'm i'm a, I'm a big believer in in balance and you know everything in moderation and and being balanced with with stuff and something i thought of recently is as as much as people might think that you know military guys especially in you know in certain roles uh, have got it quite hard with the things that have been seen and experienced well actually that's I think, balanced out with with the training. Because something that just keeps rebounding around my head whenever sort of I'm, I'm having a, a down day, just to get perspective on things, is to simplify. And it goes back to that old saying that anyone that served in the military will know is do the basics well. You know, that's all that needs to be done. And it goes across so many different genres, doesn't it? So, you know, you look at an Olympian, you, you look at and you look at anyone who's highly successful in their, their career or in their life. Not everything has to be monetized or in business terms, but, you know, success has got lots of different reasons. But anyone who's successful in whatever it may be, they do the basics, but they just do it really well. So that really helps me when it's, oh, my God, this is going on. 
I've got this happening. It's like, right, forget all about that. Just what is close by me? What's the, the closest crocodile to the boat, if you like? What do I actually need to worry about? And, um, and just try and simplify it and, and then go from there. Uh, yeah, big, big believer in that. You know, it's, yeah. there's too many distractions in this world. But if you just try and, and simplify things and look at what's what is it that I can do? You know, don't try and do things that are out of your control, because let's face it, most things are out of our control, aren't they? Yes, I guess it's why Limston is it's not a bad package, Limston, because everything's planned. You know, do you remember they put the they put the training program up on the board for the next week and you'll go out. All I ever did was take day literally day by day. Right. I'm in a fortunate position that I never considered going home ever. It was that that for me, my home life. I, I I tried that for 18 years and it wasn't very pleasant, right? <laughs> um, so I just go and read that orders. Right, what am I doing? This what am I doing? I mean, it, to me, it was like what we're doing today or obviously tomorrow. You know, plan a little bit in ahead. Right, six mile speed march. Chris, just pass that fucking thing. Just you know, head. Just it's gonna hurt. Just just pass it and. It life's different, isn't it? When you run a business and you you're trying to do the media thing and you, and you're trying to run your social, you know, your home life, your family life, your social life, you're trying to get your bloody Instagram posts up and all this kind of stuff, and then the housework's building up, and then it's oh, there's a problem with a car that's going to take like half a day out of my schedule. I just I don't really have a but Limston, it's just there for your net. Just as long as you do those things, <laughs> you, 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 you're going to get the end re- results Look, and don't get injured on the way. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of guys struggle with, isn't it? When they, um, you know, when they leave is what do I do? You know, uh, a lot of guys find that if they haven't got that structure um, as disciplined as the, what's the word, you know, the perception is, you know, yes, you know, it takes a lot of discipline, but there's a lot to be said with a lot of disciplined people have actually still got that support there and that guidance and it takes quite a lot of strength and quite a lot of I wouldn't say so much strength but time and understanding and a bit of figuring out you know to 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 sort of find your way through not having someone sort of telling you what to do not having someone else write out the orders for you um you know, and I think a lot of guys do struggle with that when they first come out. So it's it's a really good point and 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 the source of, of quite a few problems, I'm sure. Let's go back, Tony, and just talk talk about your you being attacked. Um something you said just I'm saying this for the for the record is when I spoke to Simon Weston, he was being pushed through the hospital back in the in the UK and obviously severely um, burned and, and disfigured and the nurse pushed him past his mother and his auntie and his mum looked down at him and went oh you know look at him right and Simon went mum it's me and he and he said he never forget never forget that you know the shock on her her face that 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 r- rung a bell with what you you just said Tony yeah yeah it, it, it's um yeah uh, sorry yeah so it's not until you think about the feelings of other people really that that it sort of starts um starts cutting you up we're, we're a lot easier with dealing what happens to ourselves it's like ah, uh, but it, it, i think it resonates a bit more once you start sort yeah. of so seeing what it's like you stuck up you stood up to a bully and smacked him one 
And then as you were walking through a shopping centre one day with your mate, his gang, as it were, had block, basically blockaded the shopping centre. Um, you, you, you're there going, hang on, is this about us? Maybe, you know, what, what to do? And, and, and you nearly lost your life as a, as a, as a result of the events that unfolded. Shall we? But I, I didn't know that it, it, it was for me. Um, so, say that again. Sorry, I think we're um, breaking up. We're breaking up there a bit. So yeah, um, and as a result of this a, a, a attack on you, you got stabbed several several times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it, it was um, yeah nine nine stab wounds in in, in one sitting. Um, and it was uh, yeah, it, it was quite a, a ferocious attack. And what allowed what aided in the guy being able to to get nine stab wounds in one go is the there was it, it was a sizable gang and they'd completely surrounded um so as punches started getting thrown as they started you know attacking and i was dealing what was coming at me in from the front um you know that the guy with a knife was was on my blind side but it was one of those um walking canes that had the the sword that where you sort of can pull out the handle and it's got the sword on it well it it was the curved handle so it sort of comes like a, a, a at a right angle so he could hold it like a like a gun almost so then he was able to punch it in so it was you know really really quick stabs starting from um that's a really good question next or something i haven't thought of where did he start because it was three stab wounds to the leg on the front of the thigh three um on the back of the leg sort of in in the arse area, sort of very close to the lower back act, um, and then three wounds up here. And you know, I, I think he was 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 high on something. One memory I've got is the look in his eyes, um, and it was almost just like they were black and very glassy. Uh, so afterwards, I, I was told that you know the, most of them were were high on on something um so he was rolled up I, I think he went out if it wouldn't have been me it would have been someone else um and yeah nine nine stab wounds in a matter of seconds and that was it lights out fell on the floor with that amount of blood flowing out in in one go um i i hit the deck like a like a sack of bricks mate that must have been you know freaking traumatic for the bloody shoppers walking by as well wasn't it yeah, I imagine you you're out in the shopping centre and some gang attacks someone and bloody stabs someone nine times. Um, your your friend tried. Yeah, to it was during. So yeah, it's uh, we 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 have got a slight delay here. With I can hear on my roof the rain coming down, so that's probably not going to help with the signal. Um, but yeah, un, unbelievable. The it was sort of midish afternoon, so the shopping centre was packed with with families and mums out shopping. Um, not that just mums do shopping, by the way, it was packed with people. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so my the, the one friend that I was with, he was uh, dragged away. He was maced or CS with, with some kind of spray in his eyes. And but he stuck around, you know, there wasn't nothing he could do. It happened so quickly. There was a lot of them. Um, and yeah, he took my belt off and, and used it as a tourniquet because he didn't know that the wounds were up here. I didn't know that I had wounds up here as well. He couldn't see the wounds on the back of the leg. Um, but you know what? He'd, he'd done his best. And I, I, I defy anyone really at, at that age, 
that we were to sort of keep as level headed as as he did you know with no training <laughs> um he he stuck by me and and still managed after what must have been a horrific scene because there was a hell of a lot of blood and um, people have described it as a river of of blood um and he stuck stuck with me yeah, and still tried to to help the once the ambulance crew turned up they you know they must have felt so bad because one memory i've got is they sort of were really really abrupt who the fuck put this on um because as soon as they saw the wounds above you know the the general rule of thumb with or, or the big rule with a tourniquet is it always goes above where the wound was, or where the wound is but he didn't see the other so they quickly took that off, um and and also very quickly saw that if we don't move this lead quick are you still in touch with that friend absolutely yeah like lifelong friend yeah it's it, um he he was i think he's still dealing with his own stuff with it as well because he was actually um was he arrested i'm not sure if he was arrested but he was detained and he was interrogated quite harshly and i i've only found this out from him himself over a couple of beers not that long ago um and i was like wow why didn't you tell me this before um he was interrogated quite harshly uh, they you know they were trying to they had to cover all bases and they didn't know that like the police didn't know what what the score was um so they were going at him you know hammer and tongs you know you did it you know who did it you know what was your involvement it must have been horrendous for him jesus yeah but, but yeah terrified. still still very good friend and the lad that actually yeah. stuck the knife yeah, in that did did he get prosecuted no no the the cctv camera it was all caught on cctv the whole thing but the picture was too grainy they couldn't make their faces out so um they did manage to track down who'd done it and they did go to court they did end up with a day in court but it got thrown out of court because the CCTV was blurry. There, there it is. They, you know, just I hope to God that he didn't end up, you know, do, do, doing something similar to someone else or worse. Yeah, of course. And I heard that you you were always dead set on joining the Marines. Yeah, from as far back as I can remember, it, it, the uh, you know joining the military, where it was just something that was almost like a calling. Um, I was kind of pushed towards the Marines because once my parents sort of saw, right, okay, um, it looks like we've got one of those cases because <laughs> my first words were military related, you know, just any toys, any clothes, everything had to be military and it wasn't going away. You know, it, it, it followed me right the way through into my teenage years. So once, once my parents had realised what they had on their hands, they were like, right, okay, so we're going to have no choice in this. He's going to join the military. Let's try and sort of, you know, steer him in a direction, rightfully or wrongfully. I, I, I don't know. Um, but in a way, I'm, I'm glad they did. And it was what they, the seed that they'd sowed was, if you're going to join the military, go for the Marines. Um, and the, the powers all love this. Um, they said, you know, go for the Marines because they're the best. So if you're going to do it, be the best. <laughs> <laughs> and that just that just stuck in my head so the marines it was mm -hmm. you're the opposite of me i would i never thought about them well i i did as i started to realize i failed all my exams at school um and i joined up for a bet <laughs> bet with my mate <laughs> bet, my mate bet me i couldn't join the marines and i was like i, I bloody can <laughs> um so brilliant brilliant wake up in limston like oh shit <laughs> yeah it was well yeah, I was a bit of an angry young man. I wasn't not, I don't mean like aggressive, but just, you know, things hadn't been good. And 
I didn't appreciate him telling me what I couldn't couldn't do. And he he just passed the PRC or the PRMC as it is now. Um, and and he did make it sound quite wonderful, I have to say, or quite quite adventurous. Um, yes, yeah, he was. I, I don't want to say the guy's name, but he he was uh, he was on his PRMC with a guy called John a Welsh chap uh, who then went on to 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 go SB and um, just listening to the, the, these two buddied up on the PRMC and from what it, it just sounds like they both smashed it you know and I listened to him telling his story and and yeah my mind started thinking then yeah I could picture myself doing this I could do 50 push-ups I can do the pull-up not sure about the running because it wasn't something I'd done and then you start reading the recruitment brochures and you're picturing yourself as one of these guys I when I think like that tone it gives me the same feeling as as you know when I was at was 17 I just get that feeling again like I'm excited and and I can see something here but um how how long after this attack then did you did you join and how long did it take you to recover and how, how did they keep you alive in the hospital so um so in 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 the hospital it was I was in the hospital for quite a while I, I died three times on the operating table um as, as soon as as soon as they got me into casualty um and it's, it's quite quite vivid memories you know I, I was still awake um a little bit lightheaded from the loss of blood but the they had to put a chest drain in they i can remember the the nurse or the doctor the consultant whoever it was working on me had said um look we we haven't got time for local anesthetic and he explained to me the procedure for the chest drain um and i can vividly remember thinking why are you telling me just get on with it. um he basically said look we've got to put a chest drain in uh, a chest draining because your your lungs collapsed so it's going to help you know help, help you breathe um we've got to make an incision in between your ribs here and i'll have to widen it a little bit with my little finger and then we'll put the drain the the, the tube in which i find just get at that point i i must have known you know i, I was a kind of a, a piece with it so I can remember not having any fear at all. It really didn't bother me because I thought, well, there's nothing to be worried about because if if they don't do what they need to do, that's it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm gone. I, I must have felt that I only had minutes left um, because sure enough, as soon as the chest drain went in, I died for the first time. Um, and then it goes to accounts from other people that was there, my older brother, my mum who came in. Um, my mum was holding it together a bit. I can remember, but she was crying, but she was holding it together. When my brother came in, my older brother, he was oh. uncontrollably crying. Bless you. He was... <laughs> they come in freeze. I'm waiting for the third one. They come in freeze, apparently. Hey, you don't get this on the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> but um, he was uncontrollably crying. He could hardly talk. And looking back on it now, you kind of put the pieces together. And my mum had told him, you need to go in there because it's very likely the last time that you're going to be able to see him. And that's the last thing I remember. And then going, so my body was convulsing off of the table. So that was me crashing. And that, that was me dying for the first time. And at a, a rate of knots, they they wheeled me out of the room to, to theatre uh, where, where they operated on me because the lung was punctured, it had scratched, the knife had scratched my heart on the way in. Um, plus, obviously, I had nine holes on me that they had to attend to. 
and I I died further two times on the uh, I was in ICU for uh, for for quite a while as well. We've um, we've paused a bit, mate. Just thinking know. of the other the oh. other questions. So that that happened in the length of time that it took to recover, and if I had any help afterwards. I didn't have any help afterwards at all. There was no psychological help. Um, it took me, well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm still recovering now. <laughs> you know, the, the physical injuries probably took about six months. Once I'd learned to walk on the leg again, um, because there was quite extensive nerve damage as well that, that was called, um, you know, that, that, was, that was one battle. But the, like I, you know, I mentioned earlier, the, because I didn't have any help with it, it's actually now starting to, to affect me more than it did back then. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still recovering, to be honest. Um, what was the other question? Well, it 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 doesn't matter too much. This fascinating stuff you're telling me here, mate. Um, I mean, once you've experienced trauma, especially at a young age, it kind of stays with you, doesn't it? You then develop the strategies to to manage it. Um, you know, even when I'm like doing a podcast, there's stuff in my head I'm I'm having to manage um, because chemicals start flowing. It's it 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 just affects you on a daily well you know affects you on a constant sort of basis right um our connection here tony keeps freezing i don't know if you're i don't know if you're seeing this do i I seem okay oh one second sorry friends at home we're having a bit of a technical glitch so yeah what i was trying to say is trauma is something i think it stays with you and then as you go through life you then develop the strategies to kind of deal, you know to 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 kind of deal with it um um where, where were you living, Tony? If, am I detecting like a London accent? Oh, frozen again. Oh, hang on, you're back. Yeah, yeah. So from from London, you you frozen again. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah I, I think I might need to. Um, I think I might need to switch my router on and off. Okay, one sec. So again, for our friends at home, just a quick recap because um, we've had a technical glitch and I'm not sure what you got and what you didn't. And I'll leave this to my producer, Ben, to sort out. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. Um, So Tony and I were just saying that Tony was saying he's coming to terms, you know, he's having to deal with the um, post-traumatic stress of his attack. And I was raising the point that, you know, it's hard to know, like, when you've dealt with it, because trauma is something it, it, like, doesn't go, you know, files in your brain don't seem to go away. But what we do is we develop the strategies to deal with it so it doesn't affect our life in a constant downward sort of spiral um and then i was asking you tony where you lived because the incident you described and we're a similar age i'm guessing i'm probably a bit older than you because i'm older than everybody these days <laughs> um but where i live we had the old we had, we had a lot of dust-ups we had the football gang that they could do pretty vicious stuff right but they they were like a one-off it was the tce in plymouth the central element right rumor was they'd slash people up with razor baits and stuff it wasn't very nice but the incident you described mate it that that sounds like inner city you know young young men who are not very bloody happy with their lot um lacking male role models possibly um so yeah that's why that's why i asked where you live where where this thing took place yeah so um london uh, south london and it was in in lewisham and 
Lewisham Shopping Centre and it was Lewisham Hospital I was taken to. Uh, Lewisham Hospital was where I was born as well, but I don't think it means anything, but yeah, it's quite... Is that far from Bromley, do you know? Um, not far, yeah. not far. Yeah, Bromley's 15, 20 minutes, well, depending on traffic. Yeah, that's, um, where, yeah. That, that's where I was born. Oh, okay, so you're, you are from, from yeah. London yourself then? South East London. Um, it's just we left when I was about four, I think, so I've only got kind of i remember one time in bromley i decided to put oil on the wheels of my tricycle right this is how young i was so i went in the garage and i got a can of petrol out and i poured this petrol all over my tricycle right i'm three years old and then when my mum found out what i did she told me that the fire the fire brigade were coming around to have a word with me <laughs> if you want to traumatize a three-year-old child tell them the emergency services are on their way to speak to them right <laughs> It, yes so yes hello hello everyone in Bromley and Lewisham <laughs> um yes so bloody hell your brother's in the hospital he's it must have been I mean that must still affect him to this day I, I'm, I'm sure it does I'm, I'm sure it does because it you know it, it can't it can't be easy um it's really weird isn't it because you know I I and this isn't in a, a bravado way at all it, it's quite strange but I, I'm in a way, I'm I'm glad that I was on on that side of it. If that makes sense, it's really weird. Um, it's not as much heartache than you know thinking about what's happened to yourself. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been looking down on a loved one that's that's in such a state and and, and about to die and through you know such violent circumstances. Um, it must have been horrendous. Uh, they arrested my dad <clears throat> because of his background. So he's, my dad's a a former professional fighter um and he had a bit of a checkered past he got into a bit of the wrong crowd and um, before before i came along um his boxing career was cut short uh, he got into the wrong crowd it was a bit of a name for himself in um in south london and he ended up being quite known to the police so as soon as they put you know the connections together uh, and and found out you know oh Jesus, right, we, we best get a handle on this because, you know, we're, the, the bodies are going to start piling up potentially is what they might have been thinking. So as soon as my dad got to the hospital, they, they actually arrested him or detained him um, and said to him, look, it's for your own good, you know, because you're going to do something silly and for the, for the safety of other people because we know that you're going to go on the warpath. Um, <clears throat> so again, yeah, it must have been been horrendous for for everyone all around really i don't feel uh, do you know what it must have been horrendous for the guy that done it as well because no one gets born with a knife you know what sort of life had he had what was his experience you know what what caused him to to get to such a point that because he was 20 i think he was 20 21 years old i was 15 years old you know how do you get to such a point that you're an adult and you know you stab a um stab a, a child effectively almost to death so that kind of helps me sort of in in, in recent in in recent life if you like to because you, you can't just get angry about it and it's it's actually answering a question that someone put out there on from the last podcast that i'd done with jamie and someone had said oh yeah i'd love to see an episode two uh, or for tony to sort of you know have another podcast and speak to someone else to find out if he caught up with the bastards that done it well i'd be lying if i'd say there wasn't a time where my mind was in that place uh, but i can assure you now the 
the place that my mind's at with with that in particular is is not of hate um if if anything it's of 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 sorrow because everyone's got their own story and no one gets born evil i don't think um, and it's all to do with you know the chances and the opportunities that, that you have in life so i can't imagine things were were good for that lad to be able to end up in that state yes massive part of moving forwards is developing empathy isn't it to understand situations for what they actually are not what we perceive they are and the old school mentality is, no, you got to hate that guy for life. And if you see him, you got to bloody give him and let's get him in. Well, when you understand karma, I reckon, Tony, you know, I'm not talking about karma the way people use it. Like if I steal a Mars bar in a shop, I'm going to go and step in dog shit or, so, you know, that that's not the way karma works. Karma means if you don't get a good balance in your life, you're constantly going to have experiences that, you know, it's like I've done so many things in my life um, where I thought I was looking for happiness or doing the right thing or, or whatever it might be. And of course, that's why my life's always been so up and down is um, I, I, I'll tell a little story of a fight I, I had, if that's OK. So on one of my parents, numerous, I think they'd finally got divorced. I was living in a place in Cornwall, but my school was in Devon. And all the kids in my village, they went to the local school in Cornwall, right? It is co comprehensive now. So we we're about 13 or 14. And every day our, our bus would get in, we had to get the local bus home because the you know all the kids went to the other school. But there's about five of us that would come in on this local bus just as the school bus from the other school came in. And one day we got off the bus and a load of kids got off the, uh, the, the other school's bus and they're like, oh, yeah, fucking wankers. And, and again, angry young man, I'm just turned around like, yeah, you know, fuck off. And my sister's like, Chris, shut up, shush. I'm like, no, no one talks to me like that, you know. And the one guy shouts, we'll see you tonight. I'm like, okay, <laughs> right, so... Fast forward to that evening, it was about six o'clock. We're on our estate and it didn't help that our estate was a new estate, right? We, it, it wasn't rich housing or anything, but it was a new estate. And all these kids came from the council estate up like at the top of the village, right? And down they come, mate. It was like a mob. It was like something out of like the film Grease or something, like, you know, the gangs. <laughs> right? And the big hard lad fortunately had the... Uh, uh, decency let's say to like stay out of it and just let us two fight and this guy come down the road right you fuck it up bang i just i hit him as hard as i could tony right and i wasn't a fighter i'd never I'd, I'd done a bit of judo which i was quite good at at school for a year but i wasn't a boxer or anything i didn't like look forward to fighting um but i knew i had to it, we were toe to toe and that was it and i just punched him and shut him up and then then he went right well stop stop I'm going to take my jacket off. <laughs> right. So he, he took his jacket off and he gave it to this big hard, hard geezer. He went, right, okay. And then he hit me, right? And um, so I hit him back, bang. And you know when a punch really connects and you can feel, I could feel that I've given him a massive black eye and, and, and his lips already bleeding. But give the guy credit, he fought back as hard as I fought he fought neither of us were backing down funny thing was he's like right stop take my cardigan off right <laughs> 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 and someone in the crowd right because this is crowd of our kids all, all were like behind me and their kids were but some in the crowd went 
Is he going to take all his clothes off? <laughs> Brilliant. In his head, he's probably using it as an excuse. Ah, oh, this is why I'm not winning. I've yeah. still got clothes on. <laughs> he was just like, you know, every time I hit him so hard, he needed to get his senses back. So he'd like take a bit of clothing off. But anyway, cut long story short, at the end, the fight fight just went out of me, mate. You know, you feel it when it just, it just dropped out of you. Unfortunately, at that stage, a neighbour came out and went, what are you boys doing? Stop it now, right? And back in those days, we used to listen to adults or yep. kids, kids listen to adults, right? Yeah. It was like, and a guy like shoved his hand out and went, yeah, let's call, you know, should we stop it there or what, whatever? And I'm like, yeah, all right. Anyway, fast forward. He's a bloody good guy, you know. We're, we've been mates to this day. Every time I see him, we have to go through the protocol of him apologising to me. <laughs> He's like, Chris, I'm really sorry, mate. I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, Ian, Ian, if you ever get a chance to watch this, hello, mate. And he's a, he's a, he's a lovely bloke, right? And I, I'm just saying it to highlight, we, we all change, don't we? You know, we, you know we, we all change. We're all a product of our environment, our circumstance. And, and, and as you said, Tony, until we understand it for what it is rather than what we think it is, we, we can't move forward ourselves, can we? No, no, exactly, and and I and I do hope that if he's still out there, that he's changed his ways. Um, you know, it could quite easily have been me who who went down that that path. Um, you know, the my my reaction to to to, to the stabbing afterwards could have been like, well, you know, that's what I, that's how I need to be. Then I need to, you know, start stabbing people before before I get stabbed again. It's like if you're like a bully, generally you'll go one way or the other. You, you'll, you'll either end up hating bullies or you'll become a bully yourself because the majority of bullies were, were actually bullied quite a bit themselves, um, which again has calmed me down. That thought and empathy and just, you know, looking at it a little bit deeper has also helped calm me down before. When looking at a bully or, or, or seeing someone being bullied and instantly getting angry, it, you kind of, I, I kind of then get calmed down with the thought of, well, hold on a minute. There's a very good chance that they were bullied to such an extent themselves when they were younger to actually cause them to be a bully. So it kind of shifts from anger to then actually feeling, you know, sorry for the person. And, and is, is it too late? Can they be helped? You know, first and foremost, it needs to stop. Don't get me wrong. I'm not all wishy-washy and be like, oh, you know, um, be a bit more thoughtful of bullies. Not at all. You know, stop it hard now. And if that need, if they need to be sort of, you know, have a hard line taken to them, um, then so be it. But there's there's definitely more more to it, isn't there? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the irony of when we were young at school is the kid that was brought out in front of the class and spanked in front of the class. Ironically, like he's the lad that has to go home to a bloody broken family, a father that's on the on the drink or whatever, and he's not getting the love at home. That he, and this manifests in, in the child's behaviour, doesn't it? Because, you know... Well, it just it just does. It's probably another conversation again. And um, yeah, and, and, and all this knowledge, Tony, it's been hidden from us for years, which is why I love these chats. You know it's why that my son, I tell him I love him like 50 times a day, he gets fed up with me kissing him. You know, um, it might surprise people to know that, you know, I didn't get hugged as a kid. I, I mum occasionally dad once. Right. I had to instigate that in my family. 
after I let's use the word recovered or after I came through my experience of chronic addiction and I started to do what we're discussing now, which is put the jigsaw together, think about other people. Why was my childhood the way it was? What did these people have to go through in their lives in order that they behave that way? Oh my God, they're suffering trauma, aren't they? I, I'd never thought of that before, right? Because things were always just so black and white. And and um, yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But um, but yeah, my son, uh, uh, I, I don't mind to show him all my fault, which I do all the time. <laughs> but it's a perfect example. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, want him to know. Of what I mentioned, you know, you are that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you, you could have gone one way or, or the other. Um, uh, my my wife, for example, was abused as, as a child. She had a really, really tough, um, tough childhood. And she's the most loving person, annoyingly so. Because if ever I'm having a bit of a, a, a downtime or I'm a bit grumpy um, she's so good at staying calm and being nice and it's like no stop being nice I want to be angry <laughs> um, but she's the most loving person to a fault and so much love to give and like you say you know where some people might be embarrassed to, to show their love and to kiss their kids and, and um it's just not there it's not on her radar she's got no issue showing her love um and she could quite easily have gone the other way. Yeah, very much so. Um, in that respect, society is becoming a better place. There's not so many kind of false taboos and this sort of... Oh, hang on. Hang on a sec. Stuff's happening. It's the very first time something's popped up over Zoom. I'm not not, not quite sure what's going on there. Old men in technology, eh? <laughs> um, still got me. You still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Don't... Yeah, yeah, I've, I've still got you loud and clear. Good. Good. Some something's going on today with our technology, but hey ho, this is the the world we're we're moving into. We've got some bad weather spread over the country at the moment, haven't we? So I'm, I'm sure that's that's not helping. Yeah, that's ironic, isn't it? That Marines are supposed to be good at dealing with bad weather, and yet it's fucked us both now. <laughs> <laughs> um, let let's move on then and talk about when when were you at Limston Town? I was at Limston to early 2000. Wow. So 12 years after I was. Yeah. So I, I was fed. I joined up quite late. So there, there was a bit of a gap because um, after um, after the, the, the stabbing and I, I try not to make it such a, a focal point, if you like. But at the end of the day, it is it, it is sort of one of those main points that you refer to as you look through through your life. Um, so I was 15 when that happened, and I, I, I shouldn't really feel a way about referring to it because it, it, it was, it did have a big effect because I did, it wasn't addressed. I didn't have any help after. Um, it was horrendous trying to get my head around um, sort of how to be afterwards. I was scared to go out the house. I was scared to be around people. Um, I was constantly thinking I was going to get stabbed again if I was in a crowd on a bus with people sitting behind me. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's difficult not to refer to it. But I was 15 at the time and I didn't join the military until I was sort of in my early to mid 20s. So there was quite a bit of a gap there. I did go off the rails. Um, there was uh, substance abuse involved in that, you know, in a city getting up to the wrong staff, um, in with the wrong crowd. Um, so, you know, me going back to saying I could have gone one way or the other, um, I did actually, you know, I did very nearly 
well not nearly but I did kind of go that way but luckily not to the extent where something really stupid happened you know I, I, I come come to the realization that I, I need to get a grip and sort of you know there, there's more there's more to this than just running around the streets causing havoc and um, so I, I applied myself and eventually put in for for marine training wow so the year 2000 that's when training got really really easy isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah apparently when they held their hands all the way through <laughs> sorry i had to get that in there <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, brilliant yeah yeah it was, um there, there, it, there was i think it's even um i i was just before it had a big change again because i i was before the time i think they put an extra two weeks on to to teach um gps training and so on and so forth because things were really gearing up uh, for, for afghan so it was becoming more operational specific they were throwing a few more things in um but yeah it, it's even in my time you know it's quite different now why to, to what it was even in my time yeah it's a forever changing landscape um now they've changed this is just a learning thing for all of us especially uh, the youngsters listening that want to join the marines it used to be um 99 need not apply right you know because only the one percent are born with it right or, or brought up to have that mindset now it's it's something like 99 need to apply and we'll we'll make you into that one percent right you know this is advertising promotion isn't it they they've cleverly changed it now to um up their recruitment numbers now 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 actually anyone can apply you know <laughs> yeah yeah everyone can do it yes 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 it is an age-old argument isn't it does training get easier or harder and well it's um yeah maybe a subject for another day and going to upset someone if we talk about that it's a big subject isn't it yeah and like you say uh virgin on on political yes what how did you find limpston then what what was it like to rock up with did they call it induction when you were there or was it called foundation um i think uh foundation or do you know what i can't even remember i think it was foundation foundation block yeah, yeah. i think it was foundation um i just found out yesterday on a, on a pod, podcast of a wonderful chap called rich jones ex-tanky um he was in prison and he said yeah when i was in induction i was like you're in induction in prison i said i was in induction in the military what what does that tell us <laughs> yeah well it, it, i suppose it's all about conditioning and getting ready you know the first steps to getting ready to what's to come I suppose being um being shown what's expected of you and then sort of build on it did you find yeah. did you find training i would say easy because i don't think anyone finds it easy but some some get through it less unscathed than others right i i think what helped me was being that little bit older and, and having um some life experiences uh, that i'm sure that that did help um I'm not sure if the 16-year-old Tony would have done as good as the 20-year-old Tony. Um, it certainly does help when you need to dig deep and you can sort of pull on. You've got more more to draw on, I, I, I think. Um, in a kind of a way, it makes me respect the younger lads and it makes you think, well, you, you know, you really are going to go on to, um, to, to be successful in whatever you want to do, because if you can find what's needed at, at, at such a young age, um, then, you know, you, you've obviously got something inside you. Um, not to say that I didn't have that 
as well. But I certainly certainly had a leg up being still it's still horrendous though. Yeah, I've said this quite a lot, mate. Is I I I I struggle with the speed marching. That was the only thing I really struggled with in training. And I never failed. I I, I never failed any because I, I just wouldn't give up, right? But they they hurt, right? One time I got ordered into the rat wagon because I had um, I developed shin splints and I was grimacing so much that the corporal went through, get in the rat wagon. All right, corporal. When he turned around, I just kept running with the troop. You know, I just I went to the back of the troop and I kept running at the back. When he turned the tech second time and saw I'd ignored his order, he wasn't very happy. So I, I had to get in a wagon then, right? But other than that, I used to just hang in there and bricking the hardest thing ever ever done and yet at 50 years old i did a quadruple ironman <laughs> and you know ran the length of the country um and it was okay i did get a shin splint running the length of the country but it didn't stop me and i just remember it, it it's so much easier at this age you know the mindset is there i'm a big believer in in the want as well if it's something that you want to do and i, I touched on it when I was talking to Jamie on the No Excuse podcast. And if um, if it's something that you truly want to do, then you'll find a way. You'll find something, you know, as you're digging down to search for whatever it is you need to find to keep you going on, you will find something. Your, your, your brain will, will give you something because you have that perception of this is what I want and I can do it. Um, and it's not just us, uh, you know, we're, we're not superhumans, we're, we're not overly special than anyone else. It's just that want. So say a doctor with the years of training and, and how intensive that is, you know, five years with all of that written work, the long hours on um, doing the placements in the hospital as you're training as a doctor. Um, it's because they, those that make it, it's because they want to do it. So for, for me, that's such a, a big thing um, because anyone who genuinely wants to do something, but it's a bit worried if they should or not, or if they, not if they should, if they could, if they can, you know, I really want to do this, but I'm just not sure if I'm going to be able. Well, actually, all you need really is the want. If you want to do something, then, then you can do it. You know, for me, that's the biggest thing. And it's, rightfully or wrongfully we could end up with loads of comments um you know against that but one of the biggest things that sticks in my mind is the reason i've been able to do the things that i've done throughout my life whether it be marines um whether it be the sbs whether it be being able to come up with a um a, a new business with a unique product you know i wanted to do them i wanted i wanted to be a special forces operator and I wanted to have um, my own business. It just so happened to, to end up being a, you know, a unique product, an idea that I had, but it's all things that I wanted to do, um, you know, and it's just it's just doing them, really, yeah. Let, well, let's talk about your special- The one is the biggest- Yeah, let's talk about your special forces um, route, because that's a very brave thing. Brave probably isn't the right word, but you really have to want to do that. I mean, it's not, there's, you can't half-ass around and join the special forces. It doesn't work like that. You, you've got to know that when you hit that selection, you've got the goods and you've done the training and you can read the map. Um, and obviously m the majority of people still 
fall by the wayside. So I've just got a huge amount of respect for people that can be that young and have that have that mindset. How old how old were were you when you decided how how long did you do in the corps before you went SB or as a as a marine I should say about about two and a half years which again is really does reinforce the point that I was making with with the want um before I joined the marines SB was the way that I wanted to go and I, I kind of said to myself that okay if I join the marines it will be for the ultimate goal, going SF and as quickly as I can. I, I had no real interest of staying. Um, so really from, from day one, the, the goal was, was to go SB. So I think what helped me was ignorance and not being fully educated in, in what it may entail because I installed the want so firmly that it was stronger, that passion to want to do it was stronger than anything I found out afterwards. So once I did start really finding out what it entailed with, you know, how switched on you have to be when you're tired, how much rope you're actually given to hang yourself. Um, you know, you don't get the motivation. Um, you know, you, 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 you have actually really got to be able to do the things that's asked. Of. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the passion for wanting to do that was so great by that time that none of that really, sort of phased me as such but I wasn't I wasn't clouded to it I, I I wasn't blind to it I still fully realized that this is serious and I I seriously have to get better at navigation and whatever else it is that I could do to to make sure that I'm as prepared as possible um and that really sort of manifested itself once I got to um four two so I was based at four two um out of Limston <clears throat> and I had to hold myself back from telling people and telling the other lads that, look, my aim is to not be here, is to, is to be here for as short amount of time as possible because I want to go SF. Because anyone that I did tell, I'd get laughed at. I'd get told I was stupid. I'd get told I was unrealistic. I'd get told that I was, um, I don't know, a bit of a bullshitter. You know, people are like, what? Can you hear him? He's only been in five minutes and he's already talking about SF. Because predominantly, you know, you have to have five, six, seven years experience. They generally wanted someone with combat experience as well. I know that it changed quite regularly over the years. And they, they would change their requirement depending on what was happening and how they had to recruit. But generally, it was you needed a certain amount of experience. So when the sergeant major was constantly trying to get me to go SIGs because he had to get his quota up, I kept saying, no, sir, sorry, I... You know, SF is the way that I want to go. Stop being so stupid. It's SIGs you want, isn't it? No, no, I don't <laughs> want SIGs. I was constantly getting, but I, I annoyed them enough that they eventually said, you know what, it, it's, it, it, it's your, you know, it's yours to lose then. <clears throat> and they loaded me on, um, on the briefing course, which is the first thing you have to pass before getting loaded onto select. Um, <clears throat> and that was just after two years of, of being in the unit. I was effectively a civvy still, really. Had you been on operations by this time? No. Wow. Again, it was all driven by by passion. So they could see on the briefing course, Jesus Christ, this this is an absolute ball of fire. Um, you've you know, and that's why we're going to load you on selection. Be aware that if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't be because you haven't got enough experience. Um, you know, you've only been in for a couple of years got no operational experience 
but we can see that you want this so much and that you are you're serious you know they could see it in my eye that mm. so i got loaded onto select the the other thing that really motivated me was <laughs> the sergeant major said on one condition i'm going to load you on the briefing course on one condition that if you fail it i'm drafting you to scotland bearing in mind we just moved from london to the married quarters in Plymouth. So we were kind of loving life because Plymouth compared to London was was beautiful. You got all the moors and the, you know, the the the, the countryside almost. It was beautiful. And I, so I was like, wow, that's motivation. I, I do not want to have to move my family up up to Scotland where I'm probably going to end up doing uh, some kind of guard duty for, for, for most of the time that I'm there. Uh, went home, explained that to my wife, and she said, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, put put one up on that. Um, if you don't pass and you get drafted to Scotland, I'm not coming with you. <laughs> so I thought, Jesus Christ, it's all to play for. Um, but you know what? It, it didn't fade. I thought, I'm going to put that to the back of my head. You know, I really want this. So I, I, I'm I, the best chance I've got of succeeding is to just keep, keep my mind on the fact of that this is what I want. Um, the one thing that did worry me was was uh, injury. You know, I, I knew that it was never really going to be an issue with me thinking I can't do this and I want to give up. So yeah, it was it was injury, but I, I was lucky. You know, I, I didn't have any mates. Did you do the joint SAS SBS section? Yeah, so it was, it was joint joint selection, um, and you know, some of the best soldiers that I've ever worked with were. Um, were from the parachute regiment and, and various other army regiments. For that, it's absolutely fantastic because there was kind of equal amounts of um, Marines to to army lads. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a joint joint selection. And if it's a joint selection, Tony, how do they incorporate the diving bit in it or the swimming bit? Well, do, do they are they interested in that or is that is that put aside? No, that, well, that's continuation training. So. Once you pass selection, so you've got your phases of, of selection, which is the, the hills phase, then on to the jungle, resistance to interrogation, escape and evasion, then do a bit of continuation training still with um, the Hereford lads, because you, you then get badged at the end. If, if you're lucky enough to pass after the escape and evasion and resistance to interrogation, you then get badged. You've then got to do uh, a, a period afterwards of continuation training where you go up to Hereford, you do all of your close quarter battles, your, your CQB training in the killing house. Um, uh, Hereford, because of their budget, we even had an ex-Olympian, an, an ex-Olympic um, sharpshooter who taught us handgun skills on the range, so on and so forth. You're still together at that point, plus all of the the, um, the car drills where they've got a drive-in, a drive-on range where you can actually drive onto the range and practice doing your, your car drills if you come up to an illegal BCP and you've got to start, you know, get out the car, start shooting um, at the threat and, and pull back. Uh, so you're still together at that point. Once you've done that, you then go your separate ways. So the Hereford lads then go to their squadrons and the SB lads go to their squadrons <clears throat> and you're still on your continuation training. So that's then when the diving takes place for the pool lads uh, the and whatever a continuation training it is that they do at Hereford, whether it be the skydiving, so on and so forth. Yeah, the reason I mention it is I don't, I used to know a little bit about how selection was for SB before they, they amalgamated the two, right? Um, 
friend of mine, Steve, everyone will know, uh, if I say SV, everyone will know who I'm on about. We're in uh, Belfast together and he, he um, I think he joined SV twice actually, and was also an ML in, in the middle of it. Um, and I remember him saying he didn't get on with the diving, right? And it seems a lot of expense to put someone all the way through the selection and the jungle and escape and evasion only to find out at the end of it that maybe, you know, they got claustrophobia or underwater or something, or they, they can't get on with the breathing. If, if that happened, do they keep the guy, but he just does another role or, or, or are you, you out of there? Uh, there's actually no, not at all. No, there's so you're, you're still used. Absolutely. And um, <clears throat> it, it's, there's actually a, quite a few guys that are non-divers um, for various different reasons. Uh, for me, myself, I was a non-diver. I en ended up being a non-diver because with Afghan kicking off, as soon as I got to the squadron, um, <clears throat> we were still supposed to be on continuation training and dive the dive course being one of those. Um, the There was a couple of us that got picked to to not go on dive course because we needed to go straight out to Afghan to for manpower issues and, and to... Um, to bolster up the squadrons with uh, with injuries and and deaths and and I was one of those guys, so I I, I pretty much went straight out to Afghan from, from selection. Wow, which which I'm, was quite tough. I'm going to guess the other guy was Stephen Burns, wasn't it? But, uh, but yeah, you get there's quite a few guys. Oh, again, um, I was going to say the other, we got a bit of a freeze thing going on. Oh. I'm just going to talk through it. Um, the other guy would have been Stephen yeah. Burns because Steve's been on the podcast. And when I said to him, how did you get on with the diving? He said, I didn't do it, Chris. And I was, I was gobsmacked. An SBS guy that didn't... Three knows his ears. <coughs> was that what it was? Yeah, he said he went just... Uh, yeah, I've, and that's one of probably... It's probably one of the biggest reasons, I think. I, I don't know the numbers or, or, or the statistics behind it, but just thinking of the amount of guys that I know that that didn't do or didn't complete the dive course because of perforated eardrums because mm -hmm. of the pressure. Um, I, I, I get a sense that that's one of the big reasons. Um, so really, probably from the start of, of, of the SBS, you know, the start of its life um, from, you know, way back in the 1940s, they've, they've probably been used to still having guys on that are non-divers because let's face it, they, the, the, the job roles that SB have done uh, alongside Hereford, are, 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 you know, fairly similar. It's just a method of insertion, whereas mm. the actual conflicts themselves, uh, you know, we, we do we do the same stuff as far as the job role is concerned. It, it's just historically, it's different methods of insertion. So Hereford would come in from the air, we'd come in from, from the water. Um, but in recent conflicts, for example, say Afghan, it's a level plane. You know, there, there's there was no coming in from the water. So and the uh, yeah. the RAF regiment would come in from the Nafi. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like it, I've, I've been in worse restaurants. I've been in worse civvy restaurants than some of the RAF Nafis. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. When you do your paracourse and stuff, and bloody hell, the food is just like out of this world, isn't it? Yeah. For our friends but listening, just... the, the RAF have a huge budget because each bomb that they fire from a bloody helicopter gunship or whatever costs like a million pounds so it's nothing for them to have a huge <laughs> a huge food budget as well 
massive, massive budget. But just very quickly going back to um, to Stevie Burns. Uh, Stevie Burns was on my side. I went through selection with with Stevie. Uh, absolutely great guy, top top guy. He's, he's doing some 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 great stuff at the moment as well, isn't he? So yeah, that yeah. was um, he, he nice did, to hear his name. Yeah, he did say he dragged you through. I think he dra- <laughs> it's all thanks to him. I, I was I was behind him. He was he was he was dragging me through. That's right. <laughs> yes. So Stevie Burns, for people listening, um, was the founder of Op Spartan Operation Spartan, which is a wonderful support group. Um, you can find it on Facebook or just put it into a search engine. And it's not just for military service; it's for the blue light services as well. And they do some really good stuff. And it's also a bunch of kind of similar minded people that have found themselves struggling as, as many of us have. And they, they support each other and they're all going to, they're all started running, haven't they? And they're all eating a better diet now and they're taking action with their lives. And, it, and it's, it's all good stuff to uh, see. So shout out to Steve. Absolutely. You're one of the most genuine people uh, I, I know. I, I don't talk to him as much as I'd like to, um, to, to be honest with you. Um, but he's, if you're ever in trouble, he's, he's certainly someone that you'd want in your call job. Tony, give us an idea for us, us Marine. How much harder is the legendary physical side of selection? So the hill work and all this kind of stuff. Can you kind of give me an idea? Because obviously I've done the 30 miler, I've done the nine miler, um, 12 mile low carry or what, all these things that we used to do. Is it, is it like harder than that? Is it the same? Is it, is it, is it different? It's, it's such a good question. Um, and I, I think it's going to vary massively through the individual because a lot of it is, is psychological. Um, the, I would say I've had tougher times in the Marines than I did on select because I was more mentally prepared for select. Um, to try and give an example, I, I think of, of the hills. At the end of the day, it's it's a hard course. So I think you would you you know what it would would be like. Yeah, you you would you definitely would have had just as tougher times with stuff you've done in the Marines. Um, like you say, with the commando course at the end that week of having to do those tests back to back culminating in that 30 miler um there's no getting away from it you know it's extremely cheap extremely hard work um and i think the hills i think what what makes it more especially tough is and different from from marine training is you haven't got someone there giving you encouragement you haven't got you know a fantastic team of corporals and 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 a sergeant you know as in a, a training team like you have going through marine training giving you the support or or beasting <laughs> depending on what training team you had but at the end of the day whether it be you know support or, or or shouting whatever it was it was still someone there either saying get the fuck up and keep going or come on you can do it whatever it might be it's still something you're still getting something that's urging you to um to carry on you don't have that you know and certainly through the hills phase if you find yourself halfway through the hills on one of the marches or halfway through the hills phase sorry so you're already knackered after a couple of weeks um halfway through one of the marches in the middle of bloody nowhere uh, again you really have to draw on is this what i want because you, you'll take your bergen off you'll sit on your bergen just to catch your breath and you will be thinking 
Jesus Christ, is, is this what I want? Um, so that's what makes it tough. Not so much the physical side. Yeah, it's, it, it is pretty much, you know, you have to want to do it, but on steroids, because you've got no one there to, to say, come on, you can do this. Uh, that's what makes yeah got you summed it up perfectly and what was it um what was it like then to get out to afghanistan i i i i was shit scared i was shit scared um i i've got to be careful what i say because there were yeah there were there were things in in place that that should have happened really and did kind of change after um after after my first tour but uh, effectively <clears throat> when when I landed in Afghan, um, I, I still wasn't sure what I was doing. And and again, that kind of overrides the fear of I'm in war. You know, I'm, I'm in Afghan. Um, that that I, I didn't have time to really think about that because I was so preoccupied in thinking about, am I going to fuck up and be a liability to the other guys? Um, that's, that's what made it difficult to me. So I, I was absolutely shitting myself. And... and you know, I'll be perfectly honest, and it might be surprising for pe- people to, to hear it, but um, I, I, I was worried about my confidence. You know, am I ready? I, I passed selection, but that's all it is. It's a selection course. And I didn't have, and I think that's why they want people to have that certain amount of experience before going on selection, because I, I, I found it extremely, extremely tough. And it did end up taking its toll uh, because... Um, I was just constantly, constantly worried um, if, if I was going to be able to produce the goods. Um, sure enough, obviously, you know, you get the experience and it all, all ends up coming good. But um, yeah, that, that first time was, was horrendous. <laughs> and I was on my own as well because I, I went to go fill up the numbers from injuries and deaths that had happened in the current squadron that was out. Um, I, it was as I was walking past the 2IC's office in Z Squad, in the squadron that I joined. Um, and the 2IC at the time was like, ah, Tony, come back. It was like, how about going to Afghan? <laughs> and it was like, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> of course. Wow. But, um, yeah. So it wasn't like deploying with your buddies, you know, as a group and you've done all of the build up training, this, that, and the other. It was like, right, you know, you're right man, right place, or wrong man, or right man, wrong place, wherever you want to look at it, you know, first come, first serve, do you want to go to Afghan? You need to make up the numbers. They're getting smashed. Up. Did they give you a private jet? <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to have got off it. <laughs> See, that that's the thing, right? When we rocked up in Belfast and things went bang over there quite a lot when we were there, right? But we were all ready for it, right? Because the build-up was so bloody good. In fact, the problem was the build-up so good. So for our friends at home, you, you go to a village in, in Kent. Um, they got a whole mock-up of a, of a, of a, town, a town there. They get um, civilian, uh, they get people from other military units to come and act as civilians. So they're all like, you know, gobbing off and all this stuff in mock Irish accents. And you go out on patrol every day. And depending on what phase of the training you're at, people might open up on you from a building. You've got to take cover. You, 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 we call it brick commander. So your team commander's got to get on the, on the radio, report contact, casualties, yes or no, while taking charge of, of the team. Every time you stop, you do a five meter check. So you're looking for IEDs or you're looking for hidden weapons, all this sort of stuff. The problem was when we got to, and you do, your, your team will be contacted. You turn around and the guys, look, 
you know, your, your oppo is lying on the floor and there's a referee there that goes, he's been shot, sucking chest wounds, this kind of stuff, right? You've got to deal with that while under fire and all this stuff. And then there's day-to-day kind of admin stuff like stopping the players, right? Excuse me, sir, can I have a word? Or excuse me, you know, Joseph or whatever. Here a minute, mate. You know, checking the ID. So where are you off to today? Okay, right. Blah, blah. Basically giving the players our, our time it was or interrupting their, 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 their network. And the problem was when we got out to Belfast, Tony, it was all quiet <laughs> for, for the first couple of weeks anyway, right? And then you're like, Oh, what was all that training for? Nothing's happening, you know? Yes, you were stopping people and doing your five meter checks and, and you know, covering your arcs and zigzagging as you, as you patrolled down the street, but nothing happened. But when it, when it did start going bang and we, and we started to get contact, just immediately, take cover, you just went into the drill. And it was, it was so surreal that it was so much like what we'd been trained to do, right? Although you can never train perfect. So, did you have any build up before you went or were you just like, right, your, your badge now off you go? Well, there, I suppose there's all you've always got the build up and it, to, to a certain extent through through selection. And um, you, you, you really do get taught the, um, the, the, the core basics of how you conduct business in, in, in an SF um, squad, you know, with with the way that you break contact. Um, you know, the way that you engage, whether it be contact front, left, right, behind, you know. So there is that there working in within the small teams, um, all of your CQB training as well. So you do have that there, you know, straight out of the box, you, you are a, a highly trained soldier um, within the context of working in, you know, an SF team. So, so that, that was there. It's, I think, what makes it difficult with not having or missing out on pre-deployment training like I did on my first tour because it it was so fast and furious because it it, it was at the, the, the heyday of what was going on um, in, in Afghan and we were losing guys and they did have to, you know, find guys from the other squadrons that weren't deployed to Afghan to, to, to go out and make the numbers up. Um, it just so happens that generally that would be from someone who's already been in the service for, for X amount of years, finding someone who's available. Um, it, it was just, it just so happens that that person was me and, and, and I, I was just out of the box and I, I hadn't had PDT training. So the difference that makes is just the small nuances on, on how that team works. Um, the, the big thing for me was the vehicle drills. So that was compulsory. So going straight out behind enemy lines, working on the vehicles and actually driving one of them. I found myself in the driving seat. Um, I had done the course, by the way, but I hadn't because I hadn't done PDT training with that particular squad. I didn't know exactly how the brake contact drills were going to go with the vehicles. I'd never done it. So I, it, it's it was a massive, massive stress of having to learn on the job and asking questions whilst I was behind enemy lines and whilst I was driving that vehicle. You know, if we get contacted, what are they going to do in front? What are they going to do behind? Where do I need to place myself? The most horrendous experience I've ever had. Um, Because again, it's not the fear of something happening. It's the fear of failure. It's the fear of ballsing up and other people getting hurt because of your incompetence. 
even though it wasn't my fault it was still such a stress um but yeah it's <clears throat> it's it does it does make a, a a massive difference because my second tour was 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 so much I, I, i'll not use the word enjoyable that that's completely the wrong word um it was more comfortable because yeah. i did go through the, the full process you know of <clears throat> You know, being with my own squadron for, for starters, you know, the guys that I was used to that I'd worked with, um, full PDT training, we, we knew the ins and outs of, of, of how each other worked and what we would do, depending on what, what, what would happen. Um, and it was a lot more comfortable in that respect. You know, you, 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 could, you, you could almost sort of be, again, not look forward to it, but it was one less thing on your mind. You know, it, it then freed you up to be able to, you know, th think about <clears throat> um, other more important things, if, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Um, I think probably anybody listening can relate it to something that they do in their lives. Because once you've learned it all and you, you know it inside out, that you can relax and enjoy then, can't you? You know, and just be, yeah. it's like writing. When I used to write books, I had to stop every three minutes, get a search engine up and type, right, what is what's a semicolon? Ah, right. And I'd have to do that 30 times before I actually in my heart knew what a semicolon does, right? You know, um, when do I put an introductory comma? Right, read that, read a book. Now I can just write, right? I can just edit, I can punctuate, I can do all that. I also understand the bits that I can fuck up and they don't matter, right? So there should be a comma there, but I don't have to put it. No one's ever gonna, no one's ever gonna write to me and go, Chris, why was that comma not there? It's no one, 99.8% of people are not even gonna know that that was actually an issue, you know? Um, so yeah, I think we can all relate to that. When, 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 I mean, it's like a professional footballer, isn't it? When they get that good, their training is on the pitch. It's the, it's the match they play on the Saturday and then they can not even train and the next Saturday, bang, they're, they're, you know, the fitness is up there, the skills are up there and they can just perform, perform, perform. Whereas when you must join a football team, you're like, oh God, I'm the FNG, I'm the fucking new guy. I don't, I, I don't want to fuck this up for everybody. All yeah, the so I, I had that, so it was almost twofold, you know, or threefold even. So I had that new guy element on that first tour. And then on top of that, not doing, having the chance to do PDT. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was, it was horrendous. It was so, it was quite weird because obviously I had the buzz of I'm, I'm actually here now, you know, you, you're doing the job you trained for. You're actually now, you know, you, you, you really are at Sharpen. So it was kind of a, a bit of mixed emotions. Um, but I do want to make clear that um, I don't, this isn't, you know, a, 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 a smirk towards the SBS at all. Uh, at the end of the day, it was at the heyday of Afghan. Um, guys were dying, um, and I, I, I was trained. I was a trained rank. You know, I was a badged rank, um, and they did very quickly afterwards. Not because of me, um, but it did come into place quite quick that no one would deploy unless they'd done PDT training. So even someone who was going to um, sort of make up the numbers and, and replace someone who's been injured or killed, they would still have to do a form of, of PDT training. So, so yeah, it's, it was just the times, it was very desperate times with what was going on um, with, with all of the fighting. And at the end of the day, if I couldn't learn quickly, 
I wouldn't have got into the squadrons anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it was it was just a bit a little bit harder for me because I had to really. Best better they sent you out there than my bloody sister or something. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you were the best man for the job. <laughs> um, and by PDT, I'm guessing we mean pre-deployment training for for our uh, for our yeah. armchair warriors out there. Um, how is it then, Tony, when you got into your team there, and, and obviously we don't say names or anything like that, and this isn't bad-mouthing anyone, but it's like as a sprog in the Marines, when you get into your troop or your set, or, or troops broken down into four, three or four sections, you could end up with some right angry bastard corporal, you know? And if he didn't like you on day one because basically he had an alcohol problem and he was angry all the time, he make your life a freaking misery, right? Or or it might be a lance corporal that thinks he's a bit of a guy, you know, and he's creeping up to the corporal, and they they decide that you're the you know that this you see this happen a lot, you know, or or you get the guy he's done one Norway and he thinks he's that makes him Captain America, right? The guy I'm thinking of used to go around with a pick elf threatening all the new new you know threatening to stove their heads in with a pick out this this is a recurring theme in some of my dits right i guess what i'm trying to say is you very much got put in your place when you got to your unit right you know you learn who you could fight and who you shouldn't fight because they're just going to beat the shit out of you you learn who, who you could gob off to who you could have a quiet word with if you needed to and don't get me wrong for people listening 90, 95% of the guys, very, very nice men, you know, really, really good, good people. But that don't help you if that, <laughs> if you're lumbered with one of the 5%. So taking this to SF, Tony, are you welcome like um, a, an equal professional or is there any kind of hierarchy, this sort of thing? Oh, are we frozen again? Hang on. Oh, we're unfrozen. Did you hear that, mate? Sorry. I got bits of it. Yeah, we 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 froze up a little bit again. Yeah, I was just sort of saying when you get into your SF team, are you treated like a brother? Well, I mean, you know, you're all brothers, but is it like you've done the training? You you you're a, you're an equal professional, or can you get some idiots in there? You always do. I, I think you know you'll find that in any walk of life, in any industry, in any job. Um, you know, nothing is impervious. Nothing is perfect, um, and you will always have characters you'll, you'll always have um, different personalities to, to varying degrees um I, I i think it comes down to specifics doesn't it so you've got what i i think you might be talking about with people slipping through the net in regards to having those traits that you wouldn't expect to find in something as as um high performing as as, a, as an sf squadron um like a a bit of a bully a, a bully trait or um, uh, someone who you know can't sort of move forward and and continue to sort of innovate themselves, if you like. So they they're sort of stuck in their way, and and um, that they'll try to have that same sort of mentality that you might find in the army or or some of the um, marine units. You do still get you do still get that, but the other aspect of it is that you've got certain personalities that you can run into that you would never be friends with they're not particularly nice um not many I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of just one or two people and again i am generalizing i'm also thinking of other industries and and, and work work um, experiences that i've had but um when it comes down to professionalism they're top class 
and you would want them in your corner if there's ever a problem with something. So it, yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Yet, yes, you you still do get certain people that would be like you described, be a bit of a bully, and, and still think that they're you know God's gift, and that they try to sort of throw their weight around. Um, luckily, with something that's as close knit as as F, SF squadrons, they they kind of don't last that long, or they'll end up realizing themselves and change their ways because you know everyone else is like fuck's that um so yeah i I didn't that was one of the the lures for me to go sf or one of the um things that 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 really sort of spurred me on to want to go to to sf is that it is more grown up um you're and just by the very nature of the selection course and and how tough it is it, it kind of as good as it can weeds out those type of people so it is only those that are a hundred percent genuine you know those that really really want to be there and, and and really do take professionalism and doing the job seriously not to say that other places aren't within the army and the navy the marines this that and the other not at all but it is what it is it, it, it's something where you do have to be that bit better you know and so pr- predominantly it's it's a good place to be if um you know, because let's face it, you know, you're you you, you you're only really going to go for something like that for, for certain reasons, aren't you? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have been very disappointed if I'd have got there and and then realised that it was like a bunch of mums outside of primary school and <laughs> and all the, the, the nickering and having to deal with bullying. No, not at all. It, it's a high performing environment. Um, but of course, you do get people to slip through the net. Yes. SF or not SF, at the end of the day, we're all human beings, aren't we? And, you know, yeah. People will be how people will be, unfortunately. Yeah. I was just trying to, it was, that wasn't a reference to like my situation. I'm just wondering how they would have been in the, in their unit. And, and you, you, you hear certain things, let's say, and uh, ah, anyway, enough about that shit. Um, can we, just before we talk about your company, Tony, so your fitness apparatus companies is for, for our friends at home wondering what I'm talking about, not military company. Um, can you, Tell us, like, did you have any big firefights so over there, or, or did, or what was it like to be involved in your your first one, or or, or were things quite quiet? No, they 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 weren't quiet. So it was it was during that busy period of um, when things were kicking off in in Afghan. Um, for as you'll appreciate, for obvious reasons, I, I'm not going to you know go go into um, massive detail about anything at all, really. But um, really, sort of keeping it high level and generalised. The, the the first contact that I was in, um, I absolutely shit my pants. Um, stuff started coming back, and this is looking back on it now. Um, things started coming back to me from the stabbing incident. And this goes back to what I was talking about with where I really should have had help with that as a as a 15-year-old boy. Because once the once the round started flying and cordons were getting contacted as well so you know there was contacts all all around where where i was i thought we were surrounded and i was having flashbacks of of being stabbed you know and that i'm going to be having them all come from all directions i had to massively get a grip of myself um obviously ended up you know professionalism goes through plus with the lad you 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 bring yourself to your senses but yeah everyone would probably remember their first contact for various different reasons that's my reason I, i absolutely shat myself i had flashbacks of being stabbed um 
and then on top of that that made it all the more memorable is the batteries in my MVGs died and that wasn't through bad admin we were still on the old MVGs just prior to the new ones coming in the new um out the out one alpha the peck not the um uh, the gen 2 alphas i can't remember the name i'm terrible names that's my brain going mushy but anyway the new style of mvgs the upgraded mvgs hadn't yet come in uh, so we were still on the old mvgs they they were they were great for you know they served their purpose um, but they were getting on it and some of them were you know a bit temperamental so you can imagine just as we're stacking up so i'll paint the picture at a compound stacking up there's heavy fire coming from the alleyway that that we were stacking up about to go round into the alleyway and person in front of me he's gone round. we're all moving it's go 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 mbg's cut out completely blind the only thing that was illuminating what was in front of me was the sparks of the bullets coming off of the the side of the um the walls in in the corridor in in, in the alleyway and that sort of illuminated it enough uh, and sure enough with a couple of bangs and twiddling things they they came back on again but horrendous my first hey, contact should put should have put your head torch on <laughs> get me mag light out whoa hold on a minute i can't see anything <laughs> yes wow gosh yeah we the so people for people at home mvg's night vision goggles obviously although most young people who play call of duty they 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 know more yeah. military stuff than i do yeah although i will tell you bolt croppers won't cut through us to that padlock on the people know what i'm talking about <laughs> It's not that easy, folks. Honestly, you're better to chop through the fence than you are to chop through an industrial padlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the joys of video game, then, eh? Yeah. Tony, let me just pop us on pause. I'm just going to go and uh, punch a clown. So welcome back. Yeah, went out to punch a clown. Had to take on the whole circus. <laughs> um, yes. So how's business, mate? It, things are looking up, I'm gathering. Yeah, things are looking up. It's um, it, It's a tough road. It's, uh, it's it's taking its time, you know, I think it's tough for anyone, not, not specifically just is the other side. So it is a suspension trainer. And if you imagine a TRX, you can hang it up on a pull up bar on um, any, like a, on a goalpost or a, 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 a suitable tree branch. It's an established industry. There, there's lots of people out there with suspension trainer that's of a TRX type fashion or whether it be Olympic rings. Um, so the the application of suspension trainers is, is fairly quite well known now. So we're not reinventing the wheel in that. What we're doing is, you know, something that can do what's already out there, but not just in a different way, but but better if you like. Um, I wouldn't put TRX down. Fantastic product, really, really well made, brilliant story behind it with Randy Hetrick, the, the ex Navy SEAL guy. Um, and it, it does what it does. It's, it's a brilliant, uh, brilliant product. What ours does is actually sort of build on. So as you can see here with, with the free handle, by pressing the buttons on, on the side, it just moves down the strap. It's a one-way cam system. To move it up, you just pull it up. If you're not touching the buttons, it automatically locks. So the version that's getting sold at the moment is just the four-handled version. So there's just two handles on each side. Um, theoretically, you can buy as many handles as you want and even come up with kind of a, a ladder system. Um, but free is the optimum. So we'll eventually we will sell 
a two-handled version, which is just one hand on each strap, a two-handled version, a four-handled version, which is being sold now. And then the top tier product will be the six-handled version, which is three handles on one strap like it is here. So once you've hung it up, Chris, it's minimal to zero adjustments that you need to actually do full circuit training on a suspension trainer without having to touch it because uh, you can move the handles to where you want them. So you can have the low handles to jump into press ups, the middle handle to jump into mid height exercises, whether it be dips or, you know, upright rows, whatever it is you want to do. And then the high handles to either do pull ups or to hang off for leg raises and it's down to your imagination, really. One of the things that we found when doing the, uh, the research for it, and also one of the reasons why the idea came about, was the, the, the pain that it was to have to constantly adjust, whether it be the rings or the TRX. So if you imagine, if you had the rings up quite high so that you could do your, your dip exercises, pull-ups, whatever it might be. If you then wanted to do press-ups or have the rings lower, for, for whatever reason, you'd have to actually get up quite high to then adjust the anchor point to lower it yeah. down. Yeah. Well, if you want to do a circuit, you, it's going to piss you off. The same with the TRX, you've got that single anchor point where you're constantly raising and lowering the handles. This completely eliminates that. Uh, so you literally hang it up, come up with whatever exercises or circuit that you want and then you can crack on now if you've only got the two handled version so just one of these handles on each side even though you're going to be adjusting constantly because it's at the point of the handle and right there it's just slipping the handles up and down so as far as the user friendliness of it's concerned it's it's fantastic so that's where we are at the moment there's other ideas there's other attachments that's going to be coming out um, but that's where we are with, with, with how the product is now. Um, you asked about where the idea originally came from. This is it here. <laughs> it's an old piece of deck rope with an old plas hollow plastic handle. And, and that is what sort of birthed the idea, if you like, or that's where the idea was born, turned it into to this. Got you. Uh, and it, it was through necessity. I found myself on uh, maritime operations doing the old anti-piracy stuff. And uh, it was another four month transit away in the Indian Ocean. Um, and usually one of the team would have rings or TRX or something like that, because, you know, these type of training devices are brilliant for if you've got very limited space and you can still get the maximum amount of training out of a, a minimum amount of space. So I found myself on a deployment where no one had bought one. And I, I was being lazy and a bit cheap with not buying something myself. But anyway, I found myself away with, with, with no suspension trainer and I was really getting into it. So I thought, you know what? It can't be that difficult. At the end of the day, rings or a TRX is just a strap or a rope with a handle. So I, I decided to make my own, which was easy enough. A bit of rope, tie the handle in. Where I'd tied, I don't know if you can see that. I'm take it off. Where I'd put the rope through the handles, I had to tie a knot each side so they obviously didn't just slip down so it caused <clears throat> as it was hung up it caused these two bits of rope to just be hanging down because i just wanted to use it for for dips so i'd do pull-ups and then jump into suspended dips because it was helping me get over a platform but then i thought ah oh, hold on a minute 
looking down at these bits of rope that were just hanging to the floor, I thought if I tie a knot in the bottom and that's just sort of just hanging off of the floor, I can then do pull-ups, jump down into dips, and then jump instantly down into suspended press-ups. So I took myself through a little circuit of, you know, like 10 pull-ups, 10 dips, 10 press-ups, bit of a rest, and back through again. Done, went through that five times, stood back. It, it gave me such a pump and such a feeling of a, a good workout. I thought that's a better workout than I've ever had on using a TRX or using the rings. And then that's what started the, the cogs whirring because I thought, right, there might be something in this. If I've had a better workout with a bit of rope and a plastic handle than I've ever had on any other product, there could be something here. So as I started thinking more and more, I thought, right, I've got to be serious about this because I can't pattern a rope, a bit of deck rope and a plastic handle. There's nothing there to pattern. And my head hurts thinking about it now. I don't know how... It was literally a moment of madness, if you call it. I don't know. I, 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 dare I say genius, but um, yeah. the idea, yeah. we came up with the idea <clears throat> for the handles to move, um, which of course is highly patentable. And we are granted in the UK and patent granted in the US as well. So playing field has been laid or the ground has, has been laid and it's, it's ready for us to start running. How long does it take to get the patent then? To, to get the, you know, to get it passed? Uh, quite a few years. So for us, it it took between about three years, maybe just over Whoa. three years. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit of money and quite a bit of time. Were you worried in that time that somebody else might not, you know, bring out the same idea? It, it, extremely worried. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you, you, you just try and stick to, uh, to the advice you get. You try and stick to, um, you know, the process that you feel is right. Um, it very much was difficult at, at times in regards to we really want to try and get this out there and test the market. But because it's not protected, you know, how how, how do we go about that? Because someone else, and it, it, you see it all of the time and, and history is is peppered with accounts of bigger businesses seeing a, a good idea. Um, and these big businesses, they can do what we've done over the past four or five years with the um, prototype development and i don't know if you can see them there but that yes the, the journey the different um prototypes that we had to have made up you know look at the state of that wow <laughs> you know it, so the different the different prototype um iterations that we had to go through until we until we finally got it right um took took time and, and money and uh but the we, we kind of had to figure out the, the the balance of uh, sort of paralysis or paralysis by analysis you know not not overthinking it too much and not holding ourselves back um but at the same time you have got to be careful because so getting back to the point i was making is for a big established company what took us a couple of years going for all of that prototyping they can do in months yeah of course did you, did you have to keep it a secret then and, until you got the patent? Yeah, I, I got bored of asking people to sign NDAs and it even got to the point where I asked one of the business advisors, you know, do, do we actually need to keep doing this because it is becoming quite embarrassing? And strangely enough, a lot of people are actually quite adverse and they're like, oh, well, I don't actually want to deal with you then if I've got to sign an NDA. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, we've got a unique product that we're looking to pattern. You know, all, all it does is protect from you stealing the idea uh, so actually it didn't bother me too much because i thought well if you don't want to sign an nda 
you're not, you know, someone not going to be speaking to anyway. But um, <clears throat> once we found the way of getting the funds to file the patent, um, when the patent is actually going through its pending phase, you're worldwide protected. It, 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 your protection only drops out if you if it doesn't sort of get oh, granted okay. the, the patent. But yeah, so all the way through its pending stage, you're you are protected from from the time that you file it but you it doesn't stop all your people all your stationery and your packaging has got to change from pats pending to patented at some point to to granted yeah Grant, yeah but yeah. well, luckily we're still at the stage where we haven't got you know a massive um amount of uh, of marketing or or you know assets behind us in in that way um we, we are still very much growing um so yeah we're we're, 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 it, that's not going to be too much of a headache to be honest yeah good stuff good stuff well listen tony we'll put links to where people can buy your product right the trainer yeah yeah absolutely br br 360 battle ready 360 um the sf1 strength is a, a, a obviously you know a good place to go to 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 find out more there's uh, promotional videos on there that give you a sense of of, of what the kit is and what it can do that, that's a facebook page isn't it sf1 strength yeah facebook and instagram okay and then sf1strength.com is our landing page where you can plumb in your email and we'll you know you'll get updates there is an apology actually that i want to put out to those that have already put in their email um on the sf1 strength website we've we are having uh, technical issues at the moment with sending out the the welcome email to say thank you for signing up um hopefully you know that's going to be sorted out within the coming weeks but um it's still it still works in way of being able to put your details in so i would still say if you want to to, to find out more and be updated when there's new innovations when there's other products coming out um then yeah please go to sf1strength.com and put your details in it, it's just your email tony listen you've been absolutely amazing mate thank you so much for sharing your story um thanks for having me yeah and mate give us a bell I'm anytime i'm still wondering if you've got the right bloke <laughs> <laughs> um i i just want to say though you know you can call me anytime mate if you want anyone to chat to about anything and i i know i can do that with you and so to our to our um, friends yep. out there, don't struggle in silence. Reach out, and um, you know the future is bright. You know the future is bright, and uh, yeah. So, Tony, just stay on the line. So, so thank thank that's you a, pro properly, but but massive thank you again. I wish you all the luck um, with your venture and in life. To all our friends at home, massive love to you. you all. Take care. Thank you for tuning in if you can like and subscribe and do all that kind of stuff it's going to help us and uh, we'll see you next time friends thank you for listening to the bought the t-shirt podcast please like subscribe and share and don't forget to follow me on social media username chris thrall instagram chris thank you